When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Friday, August 20th here in 2021, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of your favorite Boston Celtics. Episode 422 featuring Boston Sports Journals and CLNS's very own Bobby Manning is powered by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. Welcome in, everybody. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Coffin this week. Adam, of course, on vacation, a very well-deserved vacation. I feel like we all deserve vacation at this point. I feel like a lot of people across the entire country are working their ass off collectively, and uh, we could all use a little bit of a break. So when you can get it, take it, please, for your own mental health. If you can find an opportunity to get a little vacation going on, please do take it. Again, Evan Valenti filling in for Adam here this week. Joined by a man with many titles at this point. He works for Celtics Blog. You see him there. Uh, he's uh, with Boston Sports Journal now. Uh, him and I were just talking about, you know, pre-show, uh, some stuff that he's working with Syracuse.com. He's literally all over the place. He's back from Vegas. He's formerly a producer of this show. It's my man, Bobby Manning. Bobby, what's going on? Good morning, sir. Good morning. This is uh, this is exciting. I was telling you right before we came on, too. I was really excited for this because uh, – I've been listening to this show back to Larry H. Russell and uh, when he, he had it going like 10 years ago, whatever it was at this point. Yeah. yeah so I'm, I'm thrilled to be on here. I've, I've always enjoyed the shows you've done on here and Adam's, I'd assume uh, chasing some kids around. So it's probably not a <laughs> full vacation, but well, you know, I'll, I'll say this. Adam is very family oriented and his, his, mm-hmm. his kids and his family mean a lot to him. I'm sure he's handling all three of them. Uh, with class and style and grace and all of those things. Adam, we miss sure. you. Enjoy your vacation, my friend. Yeah, Bobby, Bobby's been doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes for us for a very long time and is now just th- getting himself thrusted into the, in- the Celtic Insider reporter world. Um, I- I'll just be flat out honest before we get to anything on this show. This show would not exist without Bobby Manning, to be frankly honest. <laughs> the amount of stuff that we threw at Bobby consistently every single week just with us, never mind the other stuff that Bobby was doing at CLNS behind, like as a production guy doing all the videos and stuff. This company would not exist without Bobby Manning. So, Bobby, again, before we even get into some stuff, I just got to give you a quick shout out here for all the help that you gave us uh, throughout the entire season last year. And again, it was, I, I was like, I'm, I feel like I'm bugging this guy. You know, like that feeling where you're like, I'm giving this guy like so much work. I don't even like really want to talk to him because I feel like as soon as he sees a text message from me, he's just going to be pissed. At me. No, but it was, it was good to have the work during the like early days of the pandemic. It really was right. the perfect uh, job because you could just sit around and do it at home, which right. was, which I love. Like I, I love just being able to wake up and hop on the computer like this and still be doing it to this day. Um, but CLNS, I like, this is, um, I think uh, a lot of people who have been, in this industry have uh, like often said, like it's an industry of no, like you do get it rejected on a lot of stuff, whether it's jobs or ideas or this or that. And uh, that's kind of how I found it when I first got started and stealing us has been, yes. Like every time where like, can I cover this? Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I, you know, do some shows? Can I be on this? Can I be on that? And they've just given me so many different opportunities over the years that like, that's really, allowed me to kind of jump into the career that I've uh, had so far. So, I mean, I got a lot of love for Nick, you, John, uh, Adam, even like Adam was one of the first people I ever talked to in this industry about getting going. So it's, uh, it's really become like a family around here and I'm really appreciative for everybody at this company. Well, Bobby is fresh from Vegas and we'll get to Vegas summer league stuff a little bit later in the show. Cause I, I have a lot of thoughts. I'm sure Bobby has one or two. Uh, as well we'll get to all that stuff but i want to start with some news first just to get some stuff out of the way we have a lot of actually some interesting news uh, things to talk about the first one obviously is marcus smart uh he gets a 
contract extension. Now, one of the things that was in limbo this offseason, the Marcus Smart contract extension talks and Rob Williams's contract extension talks. Well, we get Marcus's new deal, four years, $77 million, kicks in, of course, next season. Gives Smart a little more stability. Uh, people, of course, very, I, I, I would say entrenched in their feelings on Marcus Smart. You either love him or hate him. Uh, I think everybody that follows me on Twitter or has, has watched this show, I might have things like negative things to say about Marcus Smart from time to time, but I, he's one of my favorite Celtics ever. I, I love the guy. I, I love rooting for him. Um, and I, I'm pumped that he's in green. I, I was pretty shocked to see that Stephen A. Smith like loved, he did like a minute and a half on why he loves the Marcus Smart deal for the Boston Celtics. So that's something that I didn't see coming. Bobby, uh, where are we at with Marcus? Good deal for Marcus, bad deal for Marcus, uh, good deal for the Celtics. Where, where are you at with this whole Marcus Market extension here? Well, my first reaction was it was a bit of a change of pace for the team in terms of their plans. I thought that they were going to try to push as much cap space in the next offseason as possible. So I didn't think a smart extension went hand in hand with that. Um, I do think from my reaction to that initial Bradley Beal plan that we all started dreaming and imagining is that it was going to be a little too thin on that roster. And like just getting him onto the team in terms of a max salary structure at that point would have been such a squeeze. But I do, um, I do think there's some things that have changed on that front. Obviously the wizards have kind of reinforced themselves a little bit, uh, gotten BO to be at least comfortable going into next off season. But um, on dome theory, I had Jake Fisher on last week or two yeah, weeks ago great. at this point. And he, uh, he thinks Beal's going to sign that, mega extension super max thing with the wizards out there which would obviously make it necessary if the celtics were ever going to acquire beal to trade for him so the smart thing makes so much sense on the books like you increase the salary structure uh, you get rid of um all the uncertainty going in next offseason possibly losing him outright which would have been an absolute disaster after all the players that they've lost over the years here but it makes so much sense from a cap perspective that it really is hard to argue against. And people are so keyed into the numbers and all that stuff at this point that I do think that kind of dulled the argument here. But if we're simply talking about smart as a pillar of the organization going forward, and it's kind of that third piece with Jason and Jalen and Beal doesn't end up coming in that kind of scenario, I do think it actually becomes an interesting debate because we saw what that big three sort of looks like last year. And it wasn't great. There was a lot of offensive pressure on Marcus Smart to facilitate, score, do a bunch of things on the offensive side of the ball that I think pulled away from the normal defensive impact that he's able to put out there. There's a guy that plays a very physical brand of basketball that I think has led itself to injuries and a little bit of a physical decline sooner than you would see in other players. So I do think there's reason to be a little bit skeptical about um, like committing to him as a third piece here. But you also have to ask, like, what's the alternative? I think losing him would be a disaster. He's a really, really good player. I think that gets lost a lot in the conversation about him because everyone always talks about the intangibles. But in terms of his actual basketball skill set, it's an awesome passer, great floor general, vision, all those things, and is such a strong defender that he, I still think he can be a centerpiece of your defense. So all in all, they're almost fortunate that, the extension was capped at 77 million. Cause I think that's the perfect number for him. Like if you got closer to a hundred, if you were talking those scary Terry numbers that we saw with the Hornets, I think then you'd probably be getting a little high on the contract scale, but this is only going to touch 21 by the end of it, I believe, which for a guard, a guy that can shoot a little bit in this league, say shoot a little bit, like very loosely. I think it's a good deal. I think it makes a lot of sense on the books and they really, really, really couldn't afford to lose him one way or another. Like he's not an ideal third piece, but once you lost him, I think the, you know, floodgates were really going to open on this whole thing falling apart. So it was great that they were able to get it done. Yeah. I, I think the, I think you made a lot of good points. The first thing is the fact that Boston has lost so many guys in free agency over the years that like you know, you got a guy who want to stay. Yeah, Horford leaves, Kyrie bolts, you know, Hayward leaves, Fournier's gone. It's like this team has taken so many, blo- and like obviously in varying degrees here. Um, you know, Fournier leaving sort of I think was expected by the time it actually happened. You know, the Hayward stuff and and Kyrie leaving and Horford leaving are all different levels of like gut gut blows. But Marcus, I want to hit on Fournier in just a second. But yeah, yeah go ahead. Well, for, uh, Smart leaving the Celtics. I, I think I probably wouldn't have got out of bed for like a week. I probably just would have sat there with like Coldplay in the background 
and just just <laughs> like and just like sit there and look out the window like very very like solemnly. So I I think I think Marcus his, his, the intangible stuff everybody talks about, but like especially to this Celtics team and like what he's meant to this team over the years um, as like the guy, the first guy of the rebuild that they got. And it's been is the longest tenured Celtic right now. And, and that kind of means something because he is like the heart and soul of the team in terms of, you know, energy and stuff. It's not like, you know, Al Horford or Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. We've talked about their leadership styles, but those guys, you know, you know, aren't really super vocal. Like we know Marcus is vocal. We know that he gets hot in the, in the locker room and that he can make an impact in that way. Um, I, I am I, in terms of the money. I, I like, yeah, the $77 million is the cap, which is just super fortunate for Boston because like, let's say if they end up trading him down the line, that is an amazing contract in terms of value but it also eats, it's a decent sized number to, to try and like push a couple things together to get somebody. Um, and he has a 15% trade kicker, I believe, as a part of that deal. I think I saw that somewhere. Yeah, um, it was a, it was a great deal for him and the Celtics in that yeah. sense, because he'll continue to get floated in deals and things like that. And if it right. does, he gets that little pay boost and they get that much more toward matching salary. So it, it, no player option, which is good for Boston too, to some degree. So it's a full five guaranteed years. And, I think it's probably a little bit of a you know kickback for the money he lost in that last free agency, at least from his perspective, because they got him on a smaller deal than he probably deserved last time. Well, and again, it still it still feels like awesome value. Like I was looking at it this morning on Spot Track, and right now this year, twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two, Smart's going to make about fourteen million against the Caps, the eighty seventh highest salary in the league well that's still his that's still his contract yeah that's that from, it's, right that now, it doesn't yeah. kick in until next year right yeah. so he makes mm-hmm. as much as like this year he makes as much as Bever- as patrick beverly like it, okay gun to your head do you want pat beverly or marcus smart i think the the answer is obviously smart he's a, a yeah. much better shooter um and a much more versatile like pat beverly can guard guards um and some like force but like i don't see pat beverly like boxing out uh, you know, poor Zingas and, and like really mixing it up with centers in, in that particular regard. So I think, you know, look, Pat Beverly is a nice player. He's been traded, what, what twice this offseason already. Um, kind of tells you what you need to know about Patrick Beverly. But when this extension kicks in in 2022, 2023, he moves up about 10 spots and that puts him around like Duncan Robinson, Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi. Like, that's extremely good. And that, first off, like that OG and Anobi contract is spectacular for the, for the Toronto Raptors. What a great contract that is. But like that's I love the Raptors. Pretty excellent value for Marcus Smart, like financially. And look, Marcus, I'm curious what he looks like with Eme. Like Jay King had that great quote the other day from like a buddy of Eme, and I'm gonna paraphrase it here. It was like yeah, Ime's super pumped about having Marcus Smart. Like, you watch what they do together. They're going to be amazing for each other because Ime loves defense. Smart's calling card is defense. And the question you have to ask yourself at this point with Marcus, and I'm curious what you think, is that they're going to put the ball in his hands a lot more. Is Marcus ready for that particular role? Because if he can handle that and that $17 million contract, you know, in 2022-23 looks excellent if he can do that full time. Yeah, and I think we're going to be interested to see him in that role this year. You almost wanted to see that before he got the extension here. And now there's the possibility he could have played extremely well this year and made even more than this in the open market. I don't think that was a huge concern. But I, I am interested to see how he's going to look as a full-time point guard. We saw bits and pieces of it last year. In many ways, it was almost his best passing season. Uh, just in terms of assists and assist rate and all that stuff, because he got to fill in for Kemba a lot. But I've always liked them at that lead guard spot. Their best lineups over the years have been, uh, at least defensively, with him at that point of attack point guard spot. And I just always loved his lob thrown ability, his his um, willingness to make the right play on the ball and pass around, and his instincts in that regard, I think, are one of the best parts of his game, probably second to his defense, his just all-around passing ability. And this is what I keep going back to with him. Like, the yeah, you got the intangibles, but coming out of college, he was just an all-around great point guard prospect. Like, he could score, he could pass, he was an awesome defender. He had all three of those things going for him. And he sort of got thrust into this 
like wing help role, uh, you know, secondary shooter, secondary ball handler role alongside whether it was Kyrie, Isaiah, Kemba, those sort of things. So he's always overcompensating for something. I think he's in a really good position to succeed on this group. The one concern you have is the spacing because all their guards really have some shooting concerns now. And uh, their wings are great shooters, but not necessarily spacers. Those are guys that are going to be playmakers in Jalen and Jason too a lot of the time. So they'll have some spacing concerns here, but they have a lot of playmakers. They have a lot of guys that can dribble. They have a lot of guys that can score um, across this lineup now. So I think it's really going to take the pressure off Marcus to some degree and allow him to really just be a creator, which I think is long overdue. And I wrote that about a month ago when they could have traded him, they could have extended him, they could have done all kinds of things with them. But I said, I'm really excited to see him finally get full control of this point guard spot. And I think that is the kind of role he's going to be in this year. And I'm excited about it because we've seen bits and pieces of it over the years. We really have like him having full control of the offense. And I think he plays a different style when he's in that kind of role. He's not focused on spacing the floor and shooting a lot of threes. We saw it in the Brooklyn series. He was able to score and balance managing the offense. And he had a really good series. So uh, I'm thrilled to see him run that position on this team because I think they're almost going to take on his identity and they have a lot of guys who reflect his identity now which is something Brad Stevens talked about yesterday they're more gritty team they're more ball movement oriented team certainly which is something Ime Udoka is going to want and yeah he really has spoken up markers throughout this whole process here now I don't think this extension's a shining indictment of his future or endorsement of his future rather um, with the team. I don't think they're locked in on him being a core piece of 2026 the way it is on paper. I think a lot of this has to do as much with the numbers and the trade maneuvering kind of stuff, the flexibility that they've talked about as much as it is, as it is that they love Marcus Smart. So I think there's a little bit of hedging going on here, which is fair. Like you kind of have to hedge a lot of different uh, opportunities and possibilities going into the future. And one of them's keeping him here long-term, which I think is fine as well as uh, you know using him as a trade piece. The question you do have on this deal is how much other teams would value smart at this position. And that's where his production this year at that spot really is going to come into play. If a guy really wants to come to Boston, a team will take smart. If you're really pushing to get something from another team, I still think it's fair to question whether Jalen Brown would still have to be a centerpiece of that deal. And smart would just kind of be a side guy for, I don't know, someone like Damian Lillard. I don't know if they want to get like, I do think when you look to listen to like low and, and Woj a couple of weeks ago, like I don't, I do think they want to keep Jalen and and build around Jalen and Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, 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 I think the, it was like Zach was talking and Zach was talking about how Boston doesn't want to include Jalen Brown in any discussion for Brad Beal. And, and like, it looked like Woj was like, yeah, I'm hearing the same thing. Like, I don't think they want to get rid of Jalen either um, for a myriad of reasons. One, uh, he just keeps getting better and scores like 25 a game. So yeah. like it's, it, you want guys that can score 25 a game on your roster. The one thing that's something smart though is like, look, now you're giving Marcus smart, like not the keys to the car, so to speak, because like, I think that probably still belongs to Jason Tatum, but Mar- smart's role in this offense is going to be crucially important. Um, I think, I think we've learned maybe over the years that having a score first like point guard with Jalen and Jason might not be the best idea because like those guys need shots and smart's going to have to understand that. And like, this is where Emei being a good communicator is going to really come into play here. And, and, and we've, that's all we've heard. Like we haven't seen Emei coach a single game yet. And this for the Boston Celtics or for anybody. Um, but the thing that you hear over and over and over and over again about Emei Udoka is the fact that he is a phenomenal communicator and i think this will be a great test for email's communication skills can he make marcus smart into a, a more efficient playmaker who's like i gotta get my guys the the ball they need the ball first before i think about my shot and the smart selection over the years has been maddening i think we all can admit that but he needs to understand like and you can tell with, with good point guards uh, like Peyton Pritchard watching him in summer league or watching, you know, certain guys in summer league, you know, like certain point guards understand, like my job is to get guys the ball. Like I can score, I can shoot, I can do all that stuff. But my job is to make my, like make my uh, teammates lives a lot easier. How do, you, how, do, how do you feel about that with smart? Cause I think That's, people have different perceptions about it. Like he can do that. Think- he, he can do that. He's like, the one thing I don't, I, I missed about smart is like Marcus smarts an amazing low post playmaker. 
Yeah. Like he's an incredibly good passer on the block. I think given the opportunity, there is real upside there. Um, someone that understands that he's not there primarily to score the ball, but he's there primarily to help his guys, put him in good places to succeed and the defensive end, like kind of run the show. So like, if he just understands that and buys into that, there's, there's a really fun version of Marcus smart, but I'm again, as we, I'm not sure if we've gone too far the other way, because it was a good part of his development on how to shoot. Like if you go back to his first year and now, the confidence that I have that his shots going in is significantly different, but like we, you don't need Marcus smart taking 11 shots, 12 shots, 13 shots a game. And if you put the ball into his hands a little bit more, you're a little bit worried about maybe that happening, but if he can settle in eight, nine, 10, and they're all good shots uh, and, you know, can, can really facilitate, you know, the numbers for assists, like I don't really look for a number. I just look for how the ball moves and him being the guy that brings the ball before it starts with him. So if the ball's moving and the shot selection is a little bit better and his total shots are down, like this is could be extremely valuable here for Marcus Martin. Yeah, for sure. And the tricky thing about it is that he sort of leveraged himself into a playmaker by taking a lot of risk and kind of becoming a little bit erratic and unpredictable against defenses. Problem is, it's not a great finisher. He's a really poor finisher, frankly, at his size. And he is a poor shooter. Like, I think we just have to admit that just in terms of the numbers on the paper and what he's done throughout his career. Uh, it's going to be hard for him to leverage himself as a shooter and play in control and be able to play make because you got to, if you're a point of attack playmaker, you got to be able to be a threat to score. And sometimes he's going to have to take a lot of risks people don't like in order to make the defense, you know, cover him and account for him and you know collapse on his drives and stuff like that so he can make play makes i love your point about the uh, low post creation too that's something i'd love to see he may do a little bit more because he's a phenomenal post up guard if he can get smaller guys on that block that's a great place for him to score efficiently and you know make plays out of that's not something stevens did much of at all uh, just based on how his offense worked there so they're gonna have to put him in positions to succeed specifically with spacing i think it's gonna be really interesting how this team tries to space the perimeter because frankly the ball is going to be in tatum and brown's hands a lot to create that's something emay's talked about as well so where does that leave smart on certain sets it's obviously not going to be a phenomenal floor spacer for those guys um and you know, he's a good off-ball mover, stuff like that. But they're going to have to get creative in the way they face these lineups. Because Schroeder, not a good shooter over the length of his career. Richardson, I they keep talking up his shot coming around. But it's been about three years since he's been a good shooter at this point. Yeah, and, you know, Miami. Al's a good shooter for a center. But he's not much of a floor spacer, I'd say, especially at this point in his career. So they have a shooting problem here. And that's really where the utilization of Pritchard and Neesmith is going to come into play. They're going to have to carve out some sort of roles here, specifically Pritchard, because we really know he can shoot. Like That's the one part of his game that's certain. And he's added distance at this point. Um, Smart might find himself in a position where he's going to have to overcompensate a little bit again for some of Pritchard's defensive shortcomings and try to make him a little bit more playable on the court because they're going to need his shooting pretty badly. And I think there's a chance that you could see Pritchard and Smart playing together on the floor quite a bit this year. Even though you have Richardson, even though you have Schroeder, they're going to have to find a way to get some shooting on the floor with these guys because their backcourt just has not much of it. Never mind Chris Dunn, who I don't even know how he factors into this backcourt. Yeah, I, well, I'm not sure if Chris Dunn's on the roster when we took the ball off for the first game. But the one thing I'm the, the before we move on here, the, 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 I am curious about like a smart Richardson pairing. Uh, that is going to be a nightmare, I think, offensively. Yeah, Although I don't like it. Richardson apparently is that there is some thought out there that Richardson, if you put the ball in his hands a little more, could be a, a much better offensive player. But I think on the defensive side, when you have those two guys if you can give smart like some help in terms of like, you're not always guarding, you know, the, the primary ball handler. Like if you can, if you can make his job a little bit easier, because again, we look at his off ball stuff. Sometimes you're like, how in the hell did he freaking see that? How did he end up there? How did he do this? I'm, I am curious to that on the defensive side, I think offensively, that's going to be a little bit of a nightmare. We got to well, thinking here, right? Like this yeah. team's going to be really good on defense and that's yeah. sort of what they're trying to carve this out around. Those are those are old school Brad teams. The, the mm-hmm. last year, I, I kept harping on the show. You, you've heard it a million times. This team defensively was so annoying last year because it was like this is the first year in the history oh. of like Brad Stevens where this team 
absolutely sucks defensively. Late in the year, they were as bad as anyone. Yeah, I, I just it was. I, I'm going to drive to a fluke because most, most of the time, um, I, uh, you know, if they were a, a really excellent uh, a defensive team. Before we do move on, though, I do want to get this last point, and I want to make it kind of quick because we got to do have to move on here. But like, I, I was listening to Chris Vernon and and, and Kevin O'Connor this week, uh, mismatch course, the Ringer, great show. Um, Vernon was talking about how he he had heard from some people that like smarts contract limbo you know how with guys in contract years it's like some guys perform really well because they're just like i gotta hunt money and i gotta have a really good season so i can't afford to to be bad and they have like their best statistical year ever vernon was talking about how he had heard that smart because of his uncertainty with his future in terms of contract status and whether he's with the team or not like that really mentally affected him so may and like Everybody last year said like Smart's defense slipped. I'm not sure if it's you know he's declining athletically, if he's hurt, if it's like the COVID year, like whatever. Like we didn't see the same Marcus Smart last year. So his point being, now that Smart has a new contract, he has a little more financial stability, whether it's with Boston or somebody else. Like he's he's going to perform a lot better. You've been to put any stock into that theory at all? I think so, and I think that was an important consideration. There was obviously a Manix report out there that had to have come from someone on the inside that his stand and Jared wrote about it too with the athletic that his standing in the room was degrading a little bit. Guys are tuning smart out, never mind Brad. And so you had to sort of reinstill his status with the team. And I think an extension was a way to go about that uh, to the point where I think you accomplished two things, obviously placating his future here, him getting paid, him feeling like he's part of the leadership structure in the room here legitimately. And I also think what was so important with this year's group, and I think has been resolved now, is this wasn't going to be the holdover team for Beal. Like everybody just looking around saying like, all right, we're not even going to be here in a year. I think Bernadoni tweeted about this too. Like how are you even going to root for a lot of these guys, knowing that many of them are going to be gone in a Beal scenario there? At least now there's some sort of hedge that like, all right, there's still a chance some of these guys could be gone for Beal, but their improvement and development could go toward internal improvement too here and, you know, continue to carry forward this course. So I think that was a very huge part of the smart extension too. It's hard to ignore with all the noise we've heard about smart standing in the locker room. Yeah. And well, and there's more to come here. I do want to get into summer league at some point here this, on the show, but I do want to just move on quickly because the Boston Celtics created a new TPE signed and trade for the Knicks. They sent over a, a fake second round pick uh, to the Knicks to create a $17.1 million traded player exception. Um, this is, it feels like just a Boston staple at this point. Mike Zarin, uh, I think it might be like his favorite thing ever to create TPEs to give themselves certain cap flexibilities, uh, which I think is pretty smart. It reminds me kind of like the New Orleans Saints, what they've been doing over the past couple of years with signing bonuses and trying to like kick the can down there a little further so they can like ride out Drew Brees as much as humanly possible. But now, that Breeze is retired. Their team is a little uh, in tough shape. I think maybe that's what Boston did this this past uh, this offseason here by resetting things. Um, but they created another TPE, $17.1 million. A couple of guys that make that kind of money. Bertans, uh, of course, over in Washington, Stephen Adams. I think that's unlikely. And I, I, you know, I love Stephen Adams. He's a great guy, but I'm not sure if he fits this roster. Uh, Malik Beasley, Christian Wood, a couple other guys that fit like that number. Dante like, Murray's the one people love. Yeah, but finally I, fit him into there. I, I don't know if that's going to be the guy. Like, I feel like now that we saw that it with the Gordon Hayward TP, this feels like okay, they'll go after somebody with a smaller salary and use some of it, and then push down the line to you know next. Yeah, level like team. split it in half. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what they're going to do. I, I, I think it's smart that they do this kind of stuff. I mean, it saved them a little bit. I mean, with the Kyrie debacle. You know, the fact that they were able to get Kemba through different venues and creating that sign and trade or whatever. And they've been able to manipulate a few things and save face a few different ways. Like you don't just lose Gordon Hayward. You at least got something and got something and got something and got something. Um, again, it wasn't the most ideal scenarios all of, all the way through, but they've been able to try and, you know, okay, we didn't totally lose him for nothing. We can keep trying to figure out how to grab certain guys. So I like the fact that they're doing that. I guess I, the one thing I'll say is like, I think we're numb to the like sexy, it could be this guy in the team. Like, I think we're all numb to that now. I think it's like, all right, look, Boston just did this so they can create some fl- like financial and roster flexibility at some point. And they'll probably get two guys with it. And maybe one of them will stick. Like maybe, 
maybe it will. Like, you know, maybe they'll get a full year of Josh Richardson here and, and it'll be great and it'll work out and he can pump up Richardson's trade value or his, his value next offseason or whatever. Like, we'll see how it goes. But, like, I think we've become reserved to the fact that nothing's real sexy is probably going to happen with this new TBE body. Yeah, and I think it's part of a ladder process that we talked about with Smart. Like he, his salary bump gets you a little closer, matching like a super max deal type situation, and then these things just sort of stack the deck with contracts. Here, that's sort of the thinking with Richardson too. Is that all right? Richardson's a good fit on this team, and he's a guy that can help them now. But it's also just preserving that eleven million going forward. You can maybe even sign him to a new deal with the bird rights you have for him now to keep that money on the books. Here, you could add a and the reason you probably wouldn't split that in half I guess would be to have one contract that's sizable enough to go toward matching like I look at a Thad Young maybe you know making 14 or something like that you mentioned Beasley his money definitely fits that bill you obviously need a guy who's going to have some player value in that sense but I do think this is part of a ladder process of piling up salaries that are more tradable than what the Celtics have had in the past they've had these massive salaries they've had these tiny salaries like Rob Williams and Grant Williams that just don't do anything for you in trades and really the team got stuck at many spots the past couple of years because they just couldn't match salary for trades outside of Marcus Smart Uh, so they definitely put themselves in a more flexible situation here. I think we always heard flexibility from them and thought like, all right, they want as much cap space as possible. The encouraging thing here is it sort of flew in the face of two assumptions we made. You know, they might be willing to take on some long-term money here um, if it's going to be tradable. They um, might be willing to you know, extend a guy like Rob Williams possibly at this point because it adds some more money to the books. Like there's more possibilities and routes that they can go now than just clearing the deck of contracts. And I love this because there's just a lot of different ways you can go. You can solidify the team this year a little bit more through this process. Add a guy at the deadline who could really help this team because they, they're in a good position to win a little bit this year, I think, with what they have right now. They obviously have their picks at their disposal, which is going to help with the TPs. But I am frustrated with one thing about the smart um, situation here because now we're kind of talking about Fournier. I really liked Fournier. Like, I, especially when we learned that the fourth year was non guaranteed with him, was it crazy to bring him back at three and 60? Especially now that you have Smart at, you know, four and 77 going forward. You don't need the cap space. He's probably somewhat of a tradable contract in the different scenarios that we kick around here. Like, is he any less tradable than Beasley and Young and some of these guys we kick around? I thought he was a great fit on this roster beyond it all. He brought spacing. He brought secondary playmaking. He had a few monster scoring games in there in the you know handful of games that he played with the team here. And it really doesn't feel like they engaged him at all about bringing him back, which I understood if you were going to keep the deck cleared cap-wise. But now that you've kept smart, I think Fournier would have been a great pair for him, the Jays, and would have been probably somewhat movable going forward. You get through this one year, you have two guaranteed years left after, and uh, you know he probably would have been much more movable at that point. They probably have some idea of what his value is around the league, and maybe that turned them off to having that versus a TP here. But again, you have to use picks. You have to give up some sort of value here going forward to actually turn this TP into something. And it's not going to be as good as Evan Fournier in my mind. Yeah. And Fournier's like, as, as your first option is not a great idea, but when he's your fourth or your third, it looks a lot better. And like, it yeah, felt like a lot of Celtics fans didn't like him. I did. I, I liked Fournier. The problem with Fournier was like, everybody remembers he went like, Oh, for a million to start. And then what was good, then got COVID then took time to get back. So we never really got a solid, idea of what like Fournier looks like when he's fully integrated in the system and yeah I would have loved to see that but like at the same time you know paying him 20 million like do you want to pay him 20 million I I just I kind of if you're a shooter in this league and he can shoot he had two seven of 11 games from three I haven't seen a Celtic do that in a long time well I think also too that maybe Boston got scared of like okay what if he just kicks ass in the Olympics and like they made the move early to get Richardson and just say like that's going to be our, you know that's going to be the guy we go with instead of you know we'll just wait by to Fournier. And I think they got maybe a little scared of like what that looks like later on. Um, but I I, and I think they just wanted to move quickly and, and just have like their roster set. I do think that they want to have uh you know this whole thing pretty much wrapped up. Um, and the only thing now is like what do they do with Robert Williams? Um, 
they wanted to have like a, a, uh, an idea in place for Ime to give him like, again, the, his full roster, mm-hmm. um, pretty early in the off season. You know, I, I think that's, there's some value to that. I mean, look, I like Fournier as a player. I think, I think he fit Boston really well. It's, it's, he, he provided them, um, again, that secondary playmaking is a good off ball mover. Um, the ball doesn't really stick with him. Um, he's a good player. I, I, I am curious how he fits in New York. Um, you know, I, I, not everybody's made for that spotlight and, you know, Thibodeau is, you know, we'll see how, yeah, we'll see how Kemba's knee holds up and we'll see if Fournier holds up with, uh, with Thibodeau here as well. So I, I am curious. I do like, I'd like Fournier, but I think, you know, at 20 million, um, when you're trying to preserve like long-term flexibility, um, I think that somewhat hinders you a little bit here, but again, it's not like I don't like the player. I liked Fournier. I thought it was uh, a good dart throw, so to speak. Um, and I think it would have worked out better if, again, the guys were healthier. But this was just the, the season from hell last year. So it's just unfortunate. Um, sure. We'll before- see. I think I think he still would have kept some flexibility. And I just hope it isn't tax. We'll see where they go with this tax thing. Brad said yesterday that they'll pay the tax. They'll go deeper into the tax. That's why they didn't want to hard cap themselves. Um, I always thought Fournier was – partially letting him go actually was partially tax motivated because he would have been a substantial yeah. uh, money commitment to ownership through the tax. And maybe that's not a guy that's worth doing that, but this TP is going to be tax money too. So we'll see if they actually do commit to something with that this year. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that everybody was like, Oh, the, the Celtics front office and their ownership's being cheap. And I was like, well, yeah, I definitely get that. But we'll, you know, I, I'm not sure if they're totally convinced with Brooklyn, the way they're set up that this team is going to, Want to title this upcoming season, but we'll see with that. Before we get to summer league stuff, I want to tell you today, uh, today's show is brought to you guys by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season, we are in the dog days of summer, folks. The Red Sox are sliding like crazy. Uh, it's in full swing. You track all the action on BetOnline.ag. Get all the latest news, odds, and info. And for all of your sporting needs, including baseball, the NBA, of course, coming up, NHL coming up as well, all your UFC and MMA action. And you have preseason football going on right now. Patriots 2-0, big 35 nothing win over the Philadelphia Eagles last night. Uh, they have odds and everything on betonline.ag for NFL in preparation for the start of the season, NFL futures, regular season specials, team wins, playoff specials, division standings, players, futures, bets, and they already have odds on the 2022 draft, which is insane. Uh, I, I can't believe we're, we haven't seen a single snap of college football yet, but we already have odds for 2022 draft. Plus, they have odds for the NBA championship this upcoming season, Celtics plus 3,300. Uh, that's a real long shot, folks, and uh, I might want to allocate your money elsewhere. Real-time updated odds on, in props, almost anything you can imagine. Bet online is you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Before the next pitch, head over to betonline.ag on your laptop or mobile device. Take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with that promo code CLNS50. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50. That's CLNS50. 50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Evan Valenti and the well traveled Bobby Manning here on Celtics Speed uh, here this week. And I want to get Bobby on because Bobby was literally in Vegas for the summer league. I was so jealous. I've always wanted to go to that. I'm, uh, maybe when we get more normal, I'll be able to ha- actually attend that particular event. Um, I love summer league. Bobby also loves summer league. We like watching the younger guys, you know, make a name for themselves in the league and, and, and see what they got before we get to the real NBA season. Um, and I have a bunch of stuff I want to get to, but Bobby, I guess why I'll, well, I'll start is what in, in your mind for Boston, what was the biggest storyline to you coming out of summer league? Now that's all over where, where, what's the biggest thing that was the biggest box that you've checked or what, what is the biggest storyline coming out of summer league for you? So you did have two guys, I think, in Peyton Pritchard and uh, Aaron Neesmith, who separated themselves from the pack there a bit. Uh, I think Pritchard made the first team. Neesmith probably should have made the second team. I don't think he did in the end. But those are two guys who, once they got rolling, they had a slow first half in that Atlanta game. You want to see second-year players just look like they don't even belong there. And for large stretches of this, those two and Neesmith and Pritchard really didn't look like they belonged here. But I do actually have to go to Romeo Langford as yep. my big storyline out of there because he didn't separate himself all that much. And this is a third-year guy. 
And then by the end of it was hurt again, which was just unbelievable. Like every single time you start to develop and get a sense and feel for him. I actually do kind of believe uh, his approach and that he was trying to play a role like he would play in the regular season. So I was a little less harsh on him than you would probably be with a guy averaging 10, 11 points a game out there shooting 44%. Uh, his three point, his three ball looked good. I'll give him that. There were a few areas. He looked stronger. He got to the basket a little bit powering himself there, but he still didn't show much separation from guys. Still didn't try all this creative stuff that Pritchard and Neesmith were doing out there to try to expand their games a little bit, which is what I think summer league's all about. And I could, I just got a feel for a guy whose confidence is really just in a, shaky place with everything he's been through and um, just where he's at on this roster and in this league like he is kind of positioned himself into a corner here where he just thinks he has to cling to this defensive role and I do think there's a little bit more there for him at this point um, on the offensive end of the ball because you don't want him to just be a zero 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 guy out there who's chasing defensive assignments I don't think he's going to be able to get on the floor and play a huge role on this team into the future doing that there may be matchups and spots where he can be helpful in that sense but you pick the guy 14 you want to kind of bigger horizons for him and it still just doesn't feel like that's there with him at this point whether it's a physical skill set thing or a mental thing for him at this point and I don't I don't knock him for kind of being in a tough place mentally because he's just been through this extraordinary run of um, injuries and misfortune that just continues every single time he gets on the court again. We don't know how hurt he is with this latest wrist ailment, but that was just such a fitting end to his summer league because every single time he's back on the court, there's just another issue around the corner. So that was a big storyline of summer league for me. You had some guys that really look good, but that's the guy you want to see kind of take the next step here and expand beyond what he is. And he really didn't. Yeah. I, I, I was good. I wasn't sure when I would, we would do the Romeo stuff because I think his, his development is, is, is a huge factor here for Boston. Like, you know, they need, look, the fact that he's playable defensively and, and a really good you know player on that end is, is at least helpful to them. Like another wing defender. I mean, you can, you can never have, too many wing defenders, in my opinion. I think that's a huge part of today's game. So at least there's that. I'll at least start with that. There's a positive there. His shot does look better. Um, he looks more confident in it. It's a little bit. Sh- it's it's like shorter. It's smaller. It's more. It's more compact, which is yep. good. You know, he's it, it, he's clearly definitely come a long way in that regard. But I'm with you. Like I'm just not quite sure. You know, is he just going to be a three and D guy? Like, if, is that is that all he's going to be? Is he semi? Like, yeah, but <laughs> you like, can't believe that. Shemmy, I love Shemmy. Um, like, Shemmy could hold up a little bit differently just because of his girth, you know, mm-hmm. like, and his, like, low center of gravity. He could kind of bang with, like, bigger guys a little bit more. I don't think Romeo has that kind of flexibility because I just don't think he's strong enough at this point. I remember he's on the younger side still, but I'm, I'm looking for a little more out of Romeo. And, I'm with you. Was a little, like there were points where you're like, oh, like he had a couple of like huge dunks. You're like, he had a game winning shot. Yeah, he hits the game winner from the corner. Like, oh, okay. But you like, we're all waiting for this like sh- this like shot creator facilitator Romeo Langford that we kind of saw in Indiana. And we and you see it a little bit more with his high school tape, and we just haven't seen it. Now maybe Romeo's just not that guy at an NBA level. Like maybe that's just it. We haven't been able to see it because, again, as you alluded to, he's just hurt all the friggin' time. Mm-hmm. He's hurt constantly, and it's affected his development for sure because he's never had a normal offseason like ever. This is supposed to be the first normal offseason for Romeo Langford in three years where he has time after the offseason to practice, wind down, lift weights, get stronger, all that stuff. Then he has the summer league where you go test your skills and see what you need to work on afterwards. And he can't even get through that without getting hurt. So it's just like, is this guy like just Mr. Glass, uh, essentially, right? Like, I love Romeo. I love the idea of Romeo. If Romeo's a 3 and D guy, okay, that's fine. Normally, you, know, you try to do a little bit better than that at 14, but it could be worse, right? You could have an, a, a pick where it's like Trey Lyles, and Trey Lyles like, can't play, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I loved him coming out of Kentucky. I thought he was going to be a, a, an amazing stretch floor in the league. And like, just hasn't cut it. So there's, there's, there's that scenario as well. But we're all waiting to see like, what does Romeo look like with the ball in his hands? And the times that he does have in his hands, a lot of the times 
he doesn't make great decisions. I mean, there are times where he looks great, but there are times that he doesn't. Maybe he just needs more seasoning in that role. But, like, he's not going to get seasoning in that role a lot when he plays for Boston. Like, that's not going to be his job. So, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm encouraged in some aspects, discouraged in some aspects. And then the injury thing, I'm just like, you know, I throw I just, my hands up in the air. So, it's like. Well, yeah, he's in a he's in a spot where he's fortunate they didn't have another first-round pick this year. Because mm-hmm. that's just another guy coming in there competing for minutes. And that's something that happens every single year. And even a guy relatively young like him can end up getting pushed out of the league just because there's so much talent coming in year in and year out. So, there will eventually come a point where I think – you take on a different project and it's from a different location. Maybe a guy that didn't work on a different team. And this is something I've talked about with Grant too. If these guys stagnate, you do kind of want to see the Celtics take a different direction at some point, maybe not necessarily this year, but definitely next year, if those two guys just struggled to get involved again this season. So that's sort of how it goes in this league. This is Romeo's last shot, I think, at factoring into the Celtics' plans this year. And you have a guy like Aaron Neesmith, who I think is at least on his level at this point. Um, I think the underrated thing about Romeo is that defensive floor was obviously a place he got favor from Stevens, at least relative to Neesmith. Uh, that could be something that Eme feels the same way about. So I'm going to hold the phone on saying Neesmith has raced ahead of Langford. I think they're in a relatively similar spot, but... Nisma's getting better you know he his defense I think we got to see it in a real environment it's hard to pull from that end of the floor in summer league but he was scoring off the dribble he was hitting some step back looks in the corner he really can shoot like he's not a pure shooter like I think we were expecting him coming out of college he'll have some bad misses he'll have some rough stretches but in the aggregate, I think Neesmith is definitely a 40% three-point shooter in this league and uh, can really make it happen beyond the arc and uh, you know do a ton of stuff for you in that regard. Rebounding, I love from him. He's a very aggressive rebounder. Uh, obviously has the physique to defend, and once he gets down the playbook and the uh, different like schemes and things you have to do at this level to succeed on that end of the floor. I think he'll end up being good there too. Just a little bit of playmaking too, splash in summer league. So I, I love what Neesmith did. He, he played a great role down the stretch of the year last year, especially in that San Antonio win. He was awesome in that game. There were a handful of others where he looked like he could be a starting player in this league. He has a little bit of a ways to go here too, but at least he's taken the steps. We haven't seen Langford progress in the way that Neesmith has already through a year and change at this point. So like Neesmith could overtake Langford fast there. And I think it's already starting to happen. Well, I think there's a little difference, like an energy between those two guys. Like Neesmith is all over the place. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's just constantly moving, whether it's in the right direction or wrong direction is another question entirely, but he's just constantly moving and flying all over the court. And the energy that he brings on that on both ends is, is just kind of fun. Um, you know, in terms of Romeo versus Neesmith, like it's, and it's not like Neesmith's bad defensively. I think Neesmith needs more seasoning in that end where he just needs to be in the system more. He needs to understand, you know, the rotations more, understand the switching more. And I think he'll be fine. I think Romeo's had a little more development on that end and has been able to kind of integrate himself uh, into the, the Celtics rotation more than that. Um, but the, the offensive stuff you see from Neesmith, and it was more like off the dribble stuff, like balls in his hands, attacking the basket. Like that's the stuff I want to see. Like I don't want Neesmith just to be strictly a shooter. You know, like I think he can shoot. I think it's pretty obvious he can shoot. And the looks he'll get in the NBA versus what he got at Summer League are going to be different, right? He's going to be on the floor with certain guys. And like, okay, if Tatum and Brown on the floor at the same time as Neesmith, like Neesmith's going to have some open shots, okay? The space is going to be way different. Neesmith can really shoot it. Um, I, I'm not sure if if, I'm, if I prescribe to the he's a streaky shooter versus he's a really, like he is a pure shooter. I think there are moments where you're like, yeah, that shot, he can repeat it. It's short. It's quick. Not a lot of moving parts. Um, it's hard to block. Um, and when he's really feeling it, he's really feeling it. Um, and there are days where he's going to struggle a little bit because, again, he's young. You know, he's, he hasn't played that many NBA minutes yet. But you can just see, like, this is going to be an energy-type player. Like, he'll come on the floor, bring energy, 
and uplift the team a little bit if they're, if they need it. Like he's, there's the stuff that when the ball's in his hands, he gets, you know, he's not, he hasn't the best handle right now. Um, and he, you know, doesn't totally know where he's going all the time. Like he'll just try to drive to the basket and then he'll try and do a couple other things. And it's like, ah, it gets a little murky. Uh, probably shouldn't have done that. You know, probably should take a little, you know, fewer dribbles and know that you don't have it. You got to give it up or just take it or you just rise and fire or something like that. But that's the, t- like, something is the time to experiment with that stuff. Right. That's the time for you to, to maybe grow your game a little bit and go a little bit outside of your comfort zone. So I like the fact that, that Neesmith tried some stuff, right? Yeah. We know he can, he's going to be a shooter, but at least he tried, you know, let's, let's try being a little more facilitated. Let's be a little bit more of a guy that attacks off the dribble. Like at least we got to see that. Cause I do think, you know, there is a little mid range game to, to, you know, to, to his repertoire, so to speak. Like I remember, I think Stackhouse compared him to like Allen Houston a little bit. And there is a little bit of that mid-range game there. I mean, Allen Houston, obviously, you know, in the 90s was the maestro of the mid-range. He was a phenomenal mid-range player. Um, and I think there's a little bit of that in there, and that gets kind of lost in today's game a little bit. But I loved what I saw from him. I, I'm not sure if I would vote him all, all, you know, all of a the second team. But I'm very, 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 very encouraged his development. And when you had him and Sam Hauser and, and Peyton Pritchard on the floor at the same time, like just – so much good floor spacing, so many good shooters. It was like, I'm like, this is exactly, this is what I want. I want all this. Yeah, all that team time. could really this shoot. Is beautiful. Yeah, they separated themselves big time in most of those games with their shooting and just how much talent they had across the floor. And I don't even think we'll get to all the things we saw from the summer league team. Juhan looking physically like he could compete at this level. Yam, I think, showed some good things early. The Celtics, I think, liked what they saw from him overall. Uh, but one thing I thought was interesting for a lot of the guys, though, and I just kind of took this from Romeo, is that they haven't gotten to know Ime uh, all that much yet. He was there. I think he briefly met all those summer league guys uh, once he got in from Vegas. But there hasn't been a big conversation with Neesmith, certainly not with Romeo and Pritchard and those guys about what their role is going to be this year. So will Neesmith have the freedom to shoot a little bit more mid-range stuff? Will he may be expecting Romeo to be a little more aggressive on the offensive side of the floor? Like those are questions I don't think those guys had definitive answers to coming in the summer league. I think they had clear guidance on like where they needed to improve and Missoula communicated that pretty good. And I thought Missoula was an awesome coach for that group. Um, It was great getting to know him and just the way he connected with those guys seemed pretty authentic. Uh, so I think everybody came out of this a little bit better. Bruno Fernando, even I thought showed some good stuff um, oh just in terms of an energizer. Yeah. It looks like he can make this team actually. Cause I thought he would be one of the lead guys who would be cut in that loaded front court there, but he has a little something in terms of energy. I think that could be helpful if you need to go to him in a depth spot at that position. And they certainly have their injury concerns and age concerns at that position. So I think he came out and made the team. I think Carson Edwards, Maybe not in Boston, but saved his NBA career with some of the stuff he showed. Like, I think he can latch on with a different team based off what he um, he showed out here because it's probably not going to happen in Boston for him. So it was just a feel-good week for the team. Never mind the Schroeder signing that started the week um, and really changed the fortune of this team talent-wise going into the year. Uh, just the strides that these young guys who across the board, I don't think we were sure going into summer league, were going to take a next step or be able to separate themselves from a field through three games to have the best team in summer league by far with your two first round picks last year, who were kind of up and down through the course of that season, just tearing teams apart. I mean, Neesmith had a 33 point game. Pritchard was the best player in summer league on a points per possession basis through three games that was inspiring stuff. And now you take it all with a grain of salt. You try to contextualize like how it actually translates. But when the bar coming in was, can these guys separate themselves at all? And then they start dominating the way they did. That was great to see. And of course the last game was a disaster, but four out of the five games they played ended up being really good. So I think that was the overwhelming uh, sentiment coming out of it. Yeah. Kudos to Davion Mitchell, who looked amazing. Yeah. He blew up that spot. He He really did. (laughs) I loved him at Baylor. I loved, I loved the fact that, uh, I am stunned. He's not on the Warriors. I know. I I loved him. I thought it would be, I don't know. I I, I'm a big Davion Mitchell fan. I love his defense, but like the one thing I'll say is we try and wrap things up pretty quickly here is like, I just love the way this team moved the ball. Like, 
if 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 what we saw from Joe Missoula and this Celtics Summer League team is like the one thing I loved was they're they they moved the freaking basketball. You got Carson to move the ball a little bit. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was like it was it was so fun and refreshing to watch. And if that's what this team's gonna look like with a with a whole new vision here, with and I thought again, as you said, I thought Joe Missoula did a freaking fantastic job. They <laughs> looked like a team. They look awesome. Never happens in Summer League. I know they look great. So again, kudos to him. Um, I just, I love the way this team moved the ball. Uh, they got after it defensively. You know, they were suffocating at times. Like the, the last game they were so, it was just, it was it's such a nightmare of turnovers. It was turnover central. <laughs> um, uh, like yeah, Pritchard, stuff, Pritchard got some humbling after the 92 for sure. Yeah. And, and like, I, I, I want to save Pritchard for last, but I, like Bruno Fernando, I fell in love with in like five minutes. Like I just, I think he played his way onto the team somehow. And, and, and you look at, uh, uh, you know, Brad talked about it yesterday about how they have one more two way spot. And like, I'm kind of hoping that Fernando, if he's not on the the roster somehow ends up in the last two way spot, because man, he, he played his ass off and he brings a lot of energy. I, I, yeah. I love him. Um, Sam Hauser. I I'm just glad you mentioned him. He, he was a great find. I don't know how he, after watching what I saw, I, it's like, how did Sharif Cooper fall to the to to you know the second round? How did Sam Hauser not get drafted in a, in a league that's predicated on like primarily shooting? Can you shoot threes? Like that's the one of the biggest questions. That guy can really, really that's a pure shot, really shoot, mm-hmm. and like you know he'll get a two way spot, which is great. At some point, I think he'll play with for Boston. I think because just like that's a pure shot, and if. You can find a way to just get him some run in the G League and get him comfortable in your in your in your schemes and and at least you know playing all the time. I think eventually you'll see him in Boston as as a really key bench guy. Um, you, you don't see guys like that too often. Yeah, and he's, he he's, he lit he's, it up. He struggles defensively is is why he fell out of the draft. And KOC did have him in his top sixty. I heard that in the mismatch too when they were kicking around Boston stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Stevens, I talked to one of his coaches at Virginia. I got a profile on him coming out Sunday, but everybody in his past says like, it's clear if he's out defending in space, it's going to be a problem. And that's what you have to do in this league. So that's the kind of stuff they're going to want him to work on in Maine. But offensively, he is going to factor into this, the spacing stuff we talked about a stretch four like him and he could rebound a little bit. He's got great size. I think he's six, eight. He, he's going to play for Boston this year for sure. Yeah. I I just I'm so sold on the shot, and again, what he does, your spacing and the gravity of the floor is really great. He, he went ten. He went ten for twelve um, through twelve shots at one point in summer league. That was unreal. Was, I was like falling over, and I, and I think it, I forget was it Beth Mowens doing the game, and she was like freaking out over the fact that he was <laughs> just like still draining shots, and it, it felt like that great. There's that great. Larry Bird, I forget what year it was, and the people are going to yell at me because, you know, I should know better. But it's the Larry Bird game against the Hawks where he's just, like, firing from all over the place, and the guys on the Atlanta Hawks bench are, like, falling over there laughing so hard (laughs) because Larry's just draining an an unreal uh, amount of shots. And I think Fratello is the coach of the Hawks at the time. Um, and he like got on, he like yelled at his guys, like, you should not be cheering for like the other team, like the way you guys are doing for Larry. Like, it's just not the way, way it go. Like, that's how it felt with like House just pulling up from all over the place. But I do want to finish up here with Pritchard because this, this Pritchard looked like, you know, with the one game exception. And Davion, again, made his life a living hell. And credit Davion, I mean, that guy freaking rules. Uh, Pritchard looked like, like he was on another planet than most guys. And I love the way he plays his tempo, um, the way he, he plays at his own speed. He gets guys involved. Uh, he's a great shooter. He gets, it, he gets inside. He's not afraid to draw contact, all that stuff. Like I, I love Pritchard and I walked away from like, man, he's going to be really impactful for this basketball team this upcoming season. He's like, he gives like, I, I'm curious to see what shooter does. No question. Uh, but Pritchard and that Fred Van Vliet like comp that I just can't shake because it's just like if that's what he is, that's a really amazing player to have and to find at twenty four or wherever they got him is just such a steal. He's just a great player. He's got a great head in the shoulders and uh, you know as a backup point guard he can play there. He can be a shooting guard because his range is um, is limitless. 
I mean, he's just a perfect player for this team. Yeah, he was one of the best catch-and-shoot guys, period, in the league last year. So that was not even something he had to build on, but he did add some range in the summer league. And the scoring that he brings to the table is legit. And you think of the shooting, the scoring, like two things that are at a premium in this league. You get that at uh, late in the first round, as you mentioned there, is going to be Danny Ainge's last gift that keeps on giving here. He had a rough last few years, but I tweeted that out last week. I was like, that might have been his greatest draft steal when it was all said and done with Pritchard. And especially a guy whose pedigree largely on draft boards last year was second round pick. Uh, because of his size, the defensive concerns, uh, and his playmaking concerns, frankly, have kind of come into play here too. Because last year, the pick and roll, he was a fairly below average player playmaking in those spots. And that prevented him. I think people lost their minds when Smart would be out, Kemba was out, and Brad still wouldn't start Pritchard in those spots. But even here in Summer League, you did see there's a way to go when it comes to him as a playmaker. Celtics held him to a very high standard out there in Vegas in terms of getting other guys involved and being a floor general. And that last disaster of a game they had against Sacramento, I think, still uh, reflects some of the growth he has to undergo to become a great playmaker at the point guard spot. Now, fortunately, they have Smart, they have Richardson, Schroeder, all those guys. He may not be called on all that much to be a playmaker this year, which is good because he is going to excel most just being asked to do what he's great at, which is catch and shoot, uh, wing scoring, Play a little bit of that wing spot, I think, is where he's going to be most. You mentioned Van Fleet. I think that's a really good role for him on this squad. Is kind of a secondary scoring option, a floor spacer for this group. Not a guy who has to run a bunch of pick and roll and be a floor general for them, which is great because two weeks ago, we're probably looking at him as the backup point guard with a lot of questions about how much he could jump into that role. Now, I think there's a little bit more leeway for him to be who he is. And with all this defense around him, I think that can kind of compensate for some of his defensive concerns he's in a great spot to succeed this year and I think he's going to get a lot more minutes than he did last year and uh, he he was a guy who just looked way too good to be out there on the floor in summer league I don't know were you were you as mad as some other people that he took off for Portland no not at all (laughs) I just didn't want him to get hurt that's all the the only thing I cared about that's the other thing I I want to mention nobody got hurt outside of Romeo and I I don't think it's going to be too serious but like every no no catastrophic injuries um, you know, as of right now, I don't think anybody had COVID, so that's a good thing. Um, you know, little the baby steps, little things in life. Like after the season that the Celtics had, I just want to keep that in perspective that it seems like they'll be healthy as we get ready for training camp here. But with Pritchard, like the one thing he broke the Celtics summer league assist record. Did he? I didn't even know that. As you said before, um, yeah, he averaged the most assists per game of anybody in Celtics summer league history. Um, which is, you know, that's an accomplishment. Okay. Rondo did it. He, I think he's Rondo's second to, to Pritchard. It was uh, a everyone, bummer. This team couldn't get a bit. Would they have put up a banner in TD? Get that would have made like the, <laughs> the people who like shake their head about the Celtics if, and all if their, you're not uh, watching the video. I just rolled my eyes super hard at Bobby. <laughs> Come on now. We're, we're, oh, not, the Indianapolis Col- we're not the Indianapolis Colts here, Bobby. The Celtics <laughs> have won 17 championships, brother. This is, <laughs> this is not the Colts who hang a banner for, for getting to the playoffs. Okay. Oh uh, this, it's, but with Pritchard though, like, I love that he's a gamer. I love that he loves playing basketball because, like, to go from summer league to pro am scoring ninety two and then fifty whatever, then coming back and playing the championship game is like cycle level stuff. But I, I, I absolutely love it. And again, Pritchard, like, he would have had more assists if guys could catch. <laughs> you know, like he'd get in the paint, like dump it off, and like a guy would fumble out of bounds. It's like and like. Zach August is, is a nice player. Like I, I like know. Him. Thank God Fernando arrived halfway right. through. They did not have guys to catch pocket passes. Awful. It was so yeah. awful. Bruno – and then Bruno would just throw it down with unbelievable authority. So, like, it was yeah. fun to watch it there too. But it was just – he would average, like, 10 a game if guys could just catch the catch the ball on the block and just, you know, lay it up or, or, or yam it home. So, I look, I Pritchard, again, what a steal, what a find. I loved him pretty much from the minute he started playing because he just brought a whole different bunch of energy. I, I watched – I remember seeing it last week. Um, the shot he beat the the Raptors with, like it was like the fourth or fifth game of his career. And at the end of the game, he had the game winner against Toronto. I believe it was on the road in Tampa. 
um, when he did it. I mean, it was like he was like he just snuck in for like the offensive rebound. Put I think back. that was the Heat game. Yeah, I think it was a. Was put it, back I thought it was. Yeah. It's in Florida. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but it was it was just like he, the legend just continues to grow with him. And again, a guy that just freaking loves playing basketball. No, he was so ready from day one coming into this league. It was unbelievable. And obviously he was at college for a while. I loved him at Oregon. That was a guy who was on national TV a lot in those teams where, um, so I knew who he was coming into the league. And I had a pretty good idea that this guy uh, was the center of everything offensively at Oregon. He was able to carry a heavy load on that end of the floor last year uh, or two years ago now with that team. So like, I didn't expect what came last year with him, but he, he was just so ready just so fundamentally sound and like you said like his just obsession obsession with improvement I think is going to bode so well here um just a great find and like that's another thing Ainge I think if you look at his total package over the years in terms of like who we drafted what he did at certain spots like he had Bradley he had Rondo he had a lot of guys late in these rounds Roger who ended, ended up becoming really good players yeah and at those spots like even if Pritchard doesn't become like an awesome player or a starter or something like that, like relative to the value of 26, I think it was. Yeah. It, it's just so good. Like some guys at that spot just never play. And he really looks like a guy who should have been closer to the lottery just in terms of his readiness for the league and the scoring and the shooting in particular. The shot is undeniable at this point. He, he yeah. is another guy who's going to be a 40% three-point shooter in this league. Already was. Already was. Yeah. Can't wait. Can't wait. But uh, summer league, always fun. Uh, so jealous that Bobby had to go out there, but uh, did a lot of great coverage for us at CLNS while he was out in Vegas. Course works, you know, Boston Sports Journal. He's on Celtics blog. Uh, he's doing a bunch of stuff all over the place for anything Syracuse related, whether it's Dome Theory, his podcast there, writing for Syracuse.com, uh, which is uh, a place near and dear to my heart, obviously. Bobby, you need a napkin. Go get some rest. Appreciate you being on the show with me today. <laughs> Uh, but again, uh, a guy that was, in, you know, for those of you that don't know, extremely valuable to CLNS behind the scenes. I'm glad that you're getting your shine on camera, brother. You, you definitely earned it. You definitely deserved it, my friend. Appreciate you having me, Evan. It was fun. Adam will be back next week. We're taking off for this week. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Enjoy yourselves. But yeah, Adam, I'll be back next week. Same time, same place here on Celtics Beat. Remember that today's show is powered by betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50. For that 50% promo code, uh, 50% bonus when you, pro- you sign up uh, with your welcome deposit there. Again, CLS 50, 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bobby Manning, invaluable. The most valuable. I don't even know how to put it. Other than Xanus, I think if we didn't have Bobby Manning, this company would have fallen apart. So appreciate <laughs> you, Bobby. Have a great rest of your week, sir. Thanks, Evan. <laughs>